0: This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge of Wharton.
1: We have discussed several times on this show the importance of the Dodd-Frank Act, which was put into place in the wake of the financial crisis to make sure that banks couldn't create another scenario that allowed the U.S. economy to dip into such dangerous territory. But like many pieces of legislation, upon review, it appears as if there is a want to tweak a few things in Dodd-Frank. Dodd-Frank, excuse me. Primarily, the focus is on mid-size and regional banks who feel like they may be a bit too restricted having to use the same rules as the big banks. The big banks put forth, or should say the bill put forth, uh, has passed Congress and awaits the signature of President Trump, but the warnings still go out for banks to make sure that they act appropriately with this easing of some of the rules. David Zering joins us in studio. He's an associate professor of legal studies and business ethics here at the Wharton School. And joining us from Washington, D.C., is Andy Green, managing director of economic policy at the Center for American Progress, as well as a former counsel for the SEC, and he'll be joining us in just a few minutes. David, great to have you with us today. Thank you for coming in. Uh, it's great to be here. So uh, what has been your reaction to the want to tweak some of these issues in Dodd-Frank, specifically where mid mid-size banks and, and regional banks are concerned?
0: So in my view, uh, this uh, effort to sort of change the regulatory requirements on mid mid-size and regional banks – is reflective of a cycle we sometimes see in financial regulation, which is there'll be a crisis, a disaster, and then Congress will pass relatively intensive regulations um, designed to stop the last war from happening again in the future. So, a lot of what Dodd Frank was designed to do was prevent the the basis of um, the financial collapse that we had before uh, the legislation was passed from you know creating the sort of environment where that kind of collapse could happen again. Um, and then when times get better, there tends to be a lot of pressure from the industry to reduce regulatory requirements. And I think legislators are often receptive to that kind of reduction because the good times are rolling and we haven't had a financial crisis. Memories are short, um, uh, even if history uh, often repeats itself. And then so um, there's often an effort to deregulate. Um so that doesn't necessarily mean that deregulation is bad. Um, it could be that the regulation that was passed is overly intensive and that this is a needed correction. Um, and what we see in the United States is uniquely, uh, stop me if I'm going on too long. No, you're good. We have a ton of small and medium-sized banks, yes, more really, than yeah. uh, in other countries. And they were finding compliance with the new rules designed to stop the collapse of the largest institutions to be difficult to comply with. So they were, um, you know, big, Proponents of some sort of regulatory relief.
1: Andy Green joining us uh, right now. Andy, welcome. Hey. Good morning. Good morning. So, uh, and what has been your reaction to this? Want to change some of these rules, specifically surrounding the mid, uh, mid-sized, and regional banks?
2: Well, the uh, the interesting thing is that uh, the. The things that target mid-size and regional banks are only one part of the broader package. And the the broader package includes uh, things that are are, uh, are major changes for the very largest banks, uh, some of the largest foreign banks that have uh, uh, presences here in the U.S., uh, foreign banks that were bailed out and received very large uh, payments from the U.S. or or uh, foreign governments. It includes things that uh, are consumer protections that help uh, rural Americans, uh, those who buy manufacturing housing, uh, those who try to get mortgage credit in in, uh, far-flung places, Uh, so and the other thing is that this package that uh, moved through Congress and um you know, it's the, uh, gonna be, or is the law of the land, uh, is only one part of a, a wider range of things. Just today, we're gonna see the beginning of the uh, attempt to uh, uh, hack away at uh, the Volcker rule, the basic protection, the basic principle that says, hey, if you're a bank that takes deposits and make loans, you and your affiliates ought to be uh, out of the business of making swing for the fence, uh, swing for the fence bets uh, in the trading markets. Um, so, you know, we have to keep this in context, uh, uh, you know, looking across the broader array of, uh, of what's going on and, and whose side uh, is going to benefit from this.
1: But, but I think a lot of people are sitting back here in, in this kind of climate, Andy, and, and they wonder, you know, is, is this move in general a good one? And you kind of allude to there that, that we just have to be wary in terms of where we are going with, uh, with Dodd-Frank in general in, in the years to come.
2: You know, look. Regulation always needs to be tweaked, improved, etc. But the question is, uh, who? What's the? What direction is it going in? Are we trying to improve it to make it stronger, simpler, tougher, tighter, so that the financial uh, system is serving the real economy better? Or are we engaged in boosting the profits, boosting the market concentration and dominance of the very largest institutions, often at the expense of the real economy and ordinary working Americans? And I think the evidence to date is that, that, uh, that uh, Trump and the regulators that he's put in place are very much uh, looking at trying to concentrate power uh, and not trying to do things that protect working Americans, their ordinary pocketbooks and taxpayers.
0: David? Uh, There's a couple of uh, larger institutions, two of the largest and then many of the almost largest that really benefit from this legislation. So it's not just about um, community banks. Um, uh, uh, The the so-called custody banks, and that's State Street, um, uh, Northern Trust, and um, uh, um, uh, Bank of New York Uh, Mellon. Um, Those banks are sort of weird um, and idiosyncratic banks, but basically they hold a lot of clients' money. Um, And they've got a lot of regulatory relief from this bill. They're going to be able to um, comply with their regulatory capital requirements more easily and use more of the sort of assets that they're holding to count as capital um, uh, that... um, is going to make their lives easier. And then in addition, uh, as Andy was saying, um, the change uh, in some of the sort of oversight requirements from $50 billion, it's ultimately headed to $250 yep. billion dollars of assets under management. So those banks that hold between 50 and $250 billion uh, are certainly going to get um, – Uh, some regulatory relief, lots less oversight by the Fed, um, uh, less stress testing that they have to do themselves, um, a sort of longer schedule for checkups is to see how they're doing. Um, And that includes some modestly sized banks that that don't really risk a collapse to the financial system. But it does include, as Andy said, some foreign banks with large presences in the United States that are going to get some regulatory relief just through that exemption alone.
1: Andy, I saw some quotes from Barney Frank uh, about this. And one of the things he said that uh, he would have he would not have voted yes for the for this bill but he also did say that he agreed that that maybe that 50 billion number was you know probably a little low he talked about maybe moving it to 100 billion but certainly not 250 billion dollars
2: yeah i mean you know any number has its arbitrariness and 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 in fact for that very reason uh, the regulators implementing this provision of, of Dodd-Frank financial reform were using a stepped-up process, so that when you hit 50 billion, you had a modest increase in your oversight, and when you got a little bit higher, it stepped up. Uh, and and so, you know, the, the if you move it to 100, or move it to 250, at any point there's going to be some increase in oversight. And and just the question it really is how uh, how much are you going to have that's outside of the uh, the stronger oversight. And the, the the sort of the gradual increase, and you know, I, I have to. I think we need to step back and think about even just the the um, the way we think about these questions. Um, and and I think uh, David is absolutely right to highlight uh, these custodian banks. And and for, for most people, never think about them. But these are banks that hold twenty trillion uh, yeah. dollars in just in one bank, and the other one uh, the other one has maybe. Fifteen or sixteen, and the other one is about the similar. So these are banks that hold all the stocks and bonds that you and I own, and then they, they themselves have very small, on a relative size, banks that actually take deposits and make loans uh, underneath them. Um, but it's that underlying bank that, you know, when we talk about the idea of regulatory relief, it strikes me as. Uh, You know, and backwards, uh, because these are banks that took uh, uh, major bailouts because the collapse of them would have been catastrophic for the global economy. So, we really ought not to be thinking of this as regulatory relief or making life easier. We ought to be thinking about who's going to be able to earn more off of the slim uh, equity that's in these banks, and is it going to be the executives and the shareholders who, you know, get the upside uh, for them, but then leave the downside to the taxpayer? And that's where I really think financial reform, financial regulation, is about accountability it's about making sure the financial system absorbs its own losses is not engaged in high-risk activity and that's for the benefit of the taxpayer and the real economy and you and me ordinary investor out there who want to be able to go to the financial system make their investments earn their you know earn their savings and not see it stripped away by uh, uh, folks who are don't have uh, our best interests at heart
0: David. I'm a little less worried about the custodial banks than Andy is because I—I I don't. They did take money uh, when um, when there was a bailout, um, but uh, all the banks were forced to take money, and, and they are, to be sure, way too interconnected to fail. You know, yeah. they're an essential part of the plumbing of the financial system. However, I don't think we've seen much evidence that they're about to fail. Um, one thing that, uh, you know, investors in these institutions are going to get with this, um, you know, a different way of calculating the sort of supplemental leverage ratio is uh, it's likely that, um, you know, um, the equity slice, as Andy says, uh, at State Street and uh, bank in New York, uh, Mellon, will, uh, you know, enjoy, you know, enhanced returns based on that. So it is true that uh, investors will benefit from this. I'm not sure that these banks pose a massive risk to the financial system. And so I'm not confident that the regulatory uh, regime they were under before this statute passed was um, was uh, you know necessarily uh, needed to ensure that the system wouldn't collapse on around them.
1: Andy, do you think that, that and uh, as I mentioned at the top the, this differentiating between the the mid-size and, and community banks compared with the big banks. Yeah. Do you think there should be a distinction between those two sets of of entities in terms of the regulation that that they deal with?
2: Uh, in, in, in general, uh, I, I do think it's sensible to try to tailor um, a regulation to the risk that institutions pose to the work that they do um uh, so but I think we also have to think about the the knock-on effects and uh, you know how changing regulation will will affect incentives uh, already you see out there uh, law firms and investment banks and and those uh, investment analysts saying this is going to be a bonanza for merger and acquisition where regional banks and and community banks are going to acquire uh, each other and and grow so banks that were staying below 50 billion dollars that were staying closer to their regional Regional economies close to their communities are going to be getting bigger uh, and more consolidation. So I think, really, uh, in a world where uh, folks are quite concerned about consolidation, um, the impacts on lending and support for regional economies, often out in rural America, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I, I think that the um, the perverse impact of, of this, uh, you know, is something that uh, it, it troubles me.
0: David, yeah. uh, so. Um, $10 billion sounds like a lot of money to you and me, but um, those are the institutions with $10 billion in assets on, uh, or less that get the most relief. Um, and one of the ways they get that relief is they're allowed to exempt themselves from this international process of figuring out how much money you got to keep on hand, right. um, as long as they can establish that they've maintained a pretty simple uh, leverage ratio or capital ratio of 8 to 10%. And... Um, This, by the way, has been a big dispute between the United States and Europe. So Europe has long been of the view that we've got these international rules in place. They apply to all financial institutions. They're a real accomplishment, Mm -hmm. um, and they are an amazing um, uh, sort of multilateral uh, effort to create a sort of uniform set of rules for the banks all across the globe. And the Europeans, though, they have a different banking system, have always been of the view that every bank ought to comply with every aspect of this international process. Um, And the Americans have often pushed back for their smallest banks. I mean, here we have Congress coming in and saying, you know, we're not even going to let the regulators follow Basel if um, the community banks take this off-ramp. And uh, to me, that's a interesting, you know, statement about the way that, um, you know, this Congress sees the importance of international regulatory cooperation. Uh, it suggests they don't see it as that important, at least not for these smaller institutions. Um, uh, and so I think that's one consequence you're getting out of this uh, bill. On the other hand, um, as I said a little earlier, foreign banking organizations doing business in the United States that are pretty big—they're going to benefit from this legislation. So I, I wouldn't say this is just a you know nationalist exercise or something like that. So,
1: in your opinion, then, for the average consumer, the person that's driving around listening to us on SiriusXM right now, where are they going to see potentially the impact of of these changes? At least the ones that that are going to be be uh, signed into into law by President Trump sometime in the in the near future
0: to me I'd say that uh, the consumer uh, is likely to experience this legislation as something that doesn't uh, help her uh, or she doesn't see it in the pocketbook and that's because most consumers uh, you know have most of their bank accounts with the largest banks yep. they're not getting a lot of different um, uh, treatment out of this um, where uh, the institutions that I think Congress hopes and maybe, will benefit from this, we'll see, um, are the small and medium businesses. And it's always been thought that um, they uh, depend on the smallest banks for financing, Uh, that um, they're a little bit too small to get uh, the Wells Fargo's and the Bank of America involved in what they're doing, Um, and yet um, a local bank with close roots to the community is the kind of bank that's willing to take the time to provide them with the financing they need. So the bet on this legislation and we'll see if it comes to pass, is that those small firms will find financing easier and therefore will be able to grow their business to the benefit of the economy. That's, that's the gamble here. Um, it's not going to help IBM. It's yep. not going to matter to Wells Fargo. And it's not going to matter to those people who do their banking with those really big firms. Andy?
2: I largely agree with uh, David's analysis of what this legislation's uh, immediate impact for consumers and and the intent of it for uh, you know uh, smaller businesses out there that that are more dependent upon smaller and medium-sized banks. Uh, I, I think I, uh, I I I share the skepticism and perhaps even a stronger skepticism about whether it will actually uh, yield the result that uh, was intended. And and uh, you know to me it's really about. How rickety, how fragile do we want uh, the regional banking system to be? Because we have seen in the past failures of regional banks. Continental Illinois in the 1980s was one of the most... uh, 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 you know, prominent uh, regional banks at the time had to be bailed out by the Federal Reserve, by Paul Volcker. Uh, and, um, you know, w- during the financial crisis, we saw regional banks uh, fail. And, and um, you know, if you're out, uh, if you're a small business, if you're a family farmer, if you're, frankly, even just an ordinary consumer uh, in a part of America that is more dependent upon regional banks and, and community banks, I would want them to be strong, more, uh, you know, more strongly regulated uh, mm. rather than more fragile because I think that to me is a greater risk to the economy and the, the stability uh, of those communities. The other thing is from an ordinary consumer, there are a handful of provisions in here that are going to create risks and going to raise prices if you go to buy a manufactured home. Um, uh, You're going to probably see higher prices because there's a greater ability for the company selling them to steer you into mortgages and uh, um, sales products that don't work for you. Um, We have less ability to see out into who's getting loans in rural America because the uh, Home Mortgage uh, Disclosure Act (HMDA). Uh, the data that that data collection is now going to stop for about 75% of the banks uh, out there. So, you know, there are some some knock-on risks, uh, and I, I just hope it doesn't end uh, as badly as uh, it frankly it, it it could.
1: Are you expecting to see uh, even greater change as we go out the next few years, where where Dodd Frank uh, has obviously played an, an important role in the last decade, Andy?
2: You know, I I do. I I very much worry about that. If we look across the regulators, um, you know, David mentioned some of the things that uh, the Fed is doing, or at least will be impacted by this bill, but the Fed's doing even more to dial back stress testing, dial back uh, leverage ratio, capital ratios. Um, the CFTC, the Commodity Futures Trading Commission, uh, looks to be doing proposals to uh, dial back some of the transparency and market competition provisions of swaps regulation. Uh, I very much worry about the SEC dialing back transparency in everything from the securities mar- uh, the stock markets to uh, the bond markets. There's a proposal coming out of its uh, Fixed Income Market Advisory Committee that actually said the the system that provides the basic transparency to investors ought not not to provide that for uh, block trades over a certain size in mm-hmm. um, in the corporate bond market and, and things like that, you know, they really do start to add up one after another after another. The Volcker Rule today, and at some point, the you know Dodd Frank was not revolutionary; it was evolutionary in terms of right. adding protection to the financial system. At some point, you hack away enough of these things, and the the dam doesn't hold, um, and uh, you know the results are are quite uh, quite problematic. David. Uh,
0: to me, I'd, I'd I'd focus on two things in particular going forward. Um, uh, one is the Volcker Rule, as as Andy has said. So, the, um, so Dodd Frank said pass a Volcker Rule, and that means that banks can't engage in proprietary trading on their own account, yep. like hedge funds. Uh, and it took um, the banking regulators and securities regulators a lot of time to work out, uh, work out a vocal rule. But they did it. Um, and uh, it definitely affects um, uh, large and small banks alike. Um, G- uh, uh, Jamie Dimon, the um, CEO of J.P. Morgan, has said that um, complying with a vocal rule means that a trader needs to have a lawyer and a psychologist <laughs> present at all times. <laughs> um, and... Uh, It's clear that the regulators are going to take a look at it and um, dial back the um, amount of um, regulation that's going to happen. The big switch is going to be, instead of proving that you are not engaged in proprietary trading, now it's going to be on the regulators themselves to prove that you were engaged in proprietary trading. So this legislation. Uh, Dodd-Frank said pass a Volcker rule, and this legislation doesn't say anything about that. But regulators have said, that's the next thing we're going to take a look at. And that makes a big difference for uh, banks. Um, it's, a, it's, it's tough for small banks to comply with, but um, for big banks, um, they're also very interested in this uh, regulatory rollback. And then the second thing... And this applies much more to your average consumer is what I think we've seen out of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau is uh, a total um, uh, end to enforcement. So um, yeah. auto loans, payday lenders, any of the sort of dodgier parts of the financial system that w- that were the CFPB was looking at pretty closely, it has stopped looking at. Um, and so... Um, that too is a bet on deregulation. Basically, the idea is that um, you know these uh, consumers, and they are at-risk consumers, are going to be better served by you know unfettered payday lenders and title loan givers um, uh, than they would be if they had protection. And um, to me, that's a real change in the spirit of Dodd Frank, the uh, pivoting of the CFPB from uh, scrutinizing these industries to. Yeah. Um, you know, totally um, ceasing any scrutiny at all.
1: Well, and the other part to it, Andy, is is that uh, I think a lot of people still have. A great concern about the big banks in general. Uh, obviously, you know, they, they kind of set themselves into that scenario a decade ago, but even when, you know, you still have things coming up with organizations like Wells Fargo yeah. uh, or UBS, you know, take your pick of uh, whether it be here or internationally, you know, the fact that these things are still popping up a decade later lends you to believe that, you know, no matter what, the banks are going to continue to try and do some of this stuff. So why should we pull back on some of these rules? Uh,
2: no, I, I, w- I would agree with that. Uh, uh, I mean, I think we have to look back at, first of all, uh, banks have been quite profitable uh, in recent years. It's not like there's a challenge in terms of bank profitability overwhelmingly. There's right. some exceptions. Um you know, Morgan Stanley, which has tried to comply more with the the spirit and intent of, of Dodd-Frank of moving away from proprietary trading towards serving customers, has actually had very good profitable years. And Goldman Sachs, which has had more of a, a traditional a proprietary trading approach to things, has had a rough time making those adjustments. And I'm not going to comment any further on what their future might be or what their business strategy is. But it, it goes to show you that. Um, uh, it's quite possible to to run a financial system that uh, serves the economy effectively and is reasonably profitable for the institutions and and the executives and the employees that work there. Uh, so. Uh, in addition, uh, lending uh, is is doing reasonably well. You know, the economy, I still think, has a lot more room to improve. If mm-hmm. we actually had labor force participation today, the way it was in the year 2000, we'd have 8.7% unemployment, not 3.9%. So th- there's definitely slack out there. But it's not like the financial system is, is failing to do its job. We've seen reasonable loan growth uh, o- over the years. So, you know, ultimately, um, I-, I think we have to remember that Business and the economy is something that uh, is about providing the goods and services that you and I need to do whatever we need to do in a daily life. The financial system serves that. Um, and a well-regulated, well-capitalized financial system serves that better than one that facilitates booms, busts, and bailouts. Um, and it's also one that uh, it's not only bad for the economy and and uh, the real businesses that need uh, a lending. I mean, try to get a s- small business loan back in 2009 or 2010, it was quite difficult. It, 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 this stuff goes to the core of democracy and faith and institutions and government. Um, I, I frankly think the rise of, po- uh, of sort of dangerous populism authoritarian um you know xenophobic backlashes in some sense arises out of the sense in 2008 and 2009 both in the u.s and europe that the most the most powerful and wealthy institutions in the country got bailed out and everyone else was stuck with the bill and the europeans were stuck with it longer than the u.s was in many ways because our reforms were quicker and tougher but uh, we're still being roiled politically by uh, insufficient uh, attention to accountability and, and, and quality regulation in, in finance.
0: Uh- one way that regulators have tried to deal with, uh, you know, banker excesses is to really emphasize the importance of ethics and culture in banking. Yeah. And on the one hand, it's really hard to know what that means. Be more ethical. <laughs> uh, any banker is going to, um, you know, wonder what exactly that requires in any moment. Yeah. But there's definitely the sense that um, there are cultural failures at banks like Wells Fargo sure. that, have, um, that have been tolerated by upper management. And if there was some way to make it that these institutions were doing their jobs uh without sort of the sense of sort of taking advantage of the consumer or pushing right to the edge of lines that that would that would make the sorts of problems that these institutions have run into less likely to happen and they're still talking about that now so um so we'll see what happens with this push towards you know making more ethical and a culture of better banking but, but that's one thing that still is out there
1: but that goes to the, the to the uh, story that I've mentioned a few times about whether or not you can you can go ahead and have You know, more serious penalties put on the people that are running these banks, even though you can't necessarily connect the dots from, you know, CEO knew that what was going on at Wells Fargo was actually going on.
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a that's a real problem. Um, uh, you know, ethics and culture uh, start with a tone at the top, and that seemed to require accountability at the top. And, you know, that's one thing that is, uh, banking regulators have had a hard time proving.
1: Great having you both with us. Thank you, David. Good talking to you again.
0: Uh, Thank it's you. good to be here.
1: Andy, great to have you joining us from Washington, D.C. All the best.
0: For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.